This week on The Pressure Cast, Nintendo discusses pricing for their online service, Oculus pays $500 million in court, and we discuss, is the PlayStation 4 Pro finally a worthy upgrade? It's Monday, February 6, 2017. Everything happened in the world of video games is here, now on The Pressure Cast. Hey, hey, Pressure Pals. Welcome to the 167th episode of the Pressure Cast. Video games are dumb.com's weekly news panic that posts every single Monday on iTunes, Stitcher, YouTube, TuneIn Radio, Google Play Music, and America's longest running independent newspaper at shepherdexpress.com. My name is Colin Tanner, and I am caffeinated, so caffeinated, and ready to ramble to you about some goddamn video games. And we have a lot to get to this week. We got to talk about all the business, legal, and financial news in the chart park. We're going to be talking about the mobile devices over in Pocket Talk. And of course, we're going to take a look back at the week that was in strong history. So, so much to get to. Let me tell you, I'm in a good mood today. I'm in a good mood today. Of course, this is a solo umbrella. This is just me on the microphone, just talking to you. And I'm just, oh, man, I'm telling you, I, I, I've been having some good coffee. Can I tell you something real quick? Can I just tell you a story? It's not about video games. I know I hate when I listen to a podcast and they're talking about something other than the actual topic. It annoys me when they're like, well, my dog got sick. I don't give a fuck about your dog. All right. I don't give a fuck about your dog. Talk about, you know, movies or whatever the podcast is about. I, it annoys me. But let me tell you, I have been importing coffee lately. I have run out of good domestic coffees, or at least the ones that I know about. So I started importing this Hawaiian shit. Let me tell you, they got coconut in it. Uh, you know, I know that they have coconuts in Hawaii, but they actually put the coconut in the coffee. It is so good. It is so delicious. It is just putting me in a good mood. And that is why I've got a big smile on my face. Yeah. How you guys doing? <laughs> This is, a, this is a bad intro, but that's okay because we're getting on to the good stuff. What was that? <laughs> I think I've recognized that noise. That's right. It's time for the hype train. Feel the PR vibrations as we barrel towards video game satisfaction station on the hype train. This is the part of the show. We talk about all those upcoming video games and events to get you hyped up to spend all your money and become a video game guru. We are going to start off with everyone's favorite topic, the most anticipated topic, the topic that gets people from around this country and around the world, gets their blood a-boiling, gets their eyes wide open. That's right, we're going to be talking about firmware updates. We are talking about firmware updates. Okay, maybe, you know, maybe, maybe I might have overhyped that just a little bit, right? <laughs> I might have put the, a little too much shine on that promo right there, but just hear me out. This is actually pretty significant. Sony has entered the beta period for their upcoming PlayStation 4 firmware update version 4.5. Revealed on Sony's official PlayStation blog, this update introduces the long-awaited external hard drive feature. Users will be able to utilize a hard drive of upwards to 8 terabytes in size to store all content from game saves, patches, videos, and of course, game installs. Worth noting, Sony's description says, quote, just, uh, just plug a USB 3.0 HDD into your PlayStation 4 and voila, ooh, voila, fancy. And now you have more space on the console. Now, the reason I bring that up is because they're kind of implying plug in a 3.0, not a 2.0. So who knows if they're going to support, uh, support 2.0, of course. 
USB 3.0 is backwards compatible with USB 2.0, but maybe they have some sort of restrictions. I mean, for fuck's sake, it's been over three years and they're just introducing external hard drives. Anyway, uh, other enhancements include custom wallpapers, allowing users to display stored photos on their home screen, and an improved quick menu where online party management can now be done from the screen overlay. So you don't need to bounce back to the home screen anymore and, you know, add your friends so you can be like, yeah, let's play some Destiny. Uh, a simplified notifications list, as opposed to the segmented series of lists that they have right now and the ability to post directly on activity feeds so that way you can be like hey let me highlight this trophy that i got i want to talk about this trophy and people will be like that's a good trophy i'm real proud of you son thanks dad thanks for adding me on psn uh <laughs> and finally they have 3d blu-ray support for playstation vr that's right. If you put in your PlayStation VR headset and you put in a 3D Blu-ray, you can watch that film in 3D because, of course, the VR headset has stereoscopic 3D. Of course, it will still be in a, uh, a two-dimensional screen. It'll be like a big square right in front of you. You can set the size, but things are going to be popping out of you when you're watching Ghostbusters. The most recent Ghostbusters. Was that in, was that in 3D? Let me know. Did anyone actually see that movie? I'm, I'm not actually sure. Uh, no release date was given for this update, though Sony hinted more features will be available in, quote, weeks to come. This might look like a series of unrelated features, and it is, but these are actually uh, signs that Sony is listening to their fans. They're taking those little nitpick issues and they're adding value to the system. You might be saying, well, that's a little preposterous. That's a bit of an exaggeration, but no, hear me out. Hear me out. You know, an extra hard drive? I'm not going to need it. I don't want to have any sort of digital hoarding. I'm not going to go out and spend, you know, 160 bucks to get a, a big hard drive just so I can keep extra screenshots. That's goofy. I don't really care about that. However, if you are living in a certain territory where your internet has, uh, you know, bandwidth caps, where every single time you download more than, you know, 500 gigabytes a month, suddenly you have to pay out extra. It would be nice to have that extra space so you don't have to delete it and then maybe reinstall it later. So that's a win-win. Also, maybe if you're in an area that doesn't have particularly good internet, maybe you are a soldier in the army and you're going over to some territory where you're using some sort of satellite internet just to keep a connection. Not really useful for downloading though, right? So this is a, this is a very nice feature for just a few outliers. Not bad. Now let's talk about the wallpapers for a second. That sounds ridiculous. Why even bother with that? Well, if you spend 30 minutes, you know, making that perfect wallpaper, paper, wallplayer, <laughs> if you make the perfect wallplayer on your PlayStation 4, chances are you're going to spend more time on your PlayStation 4. You're going to be more invested. Every time that screen pops up, you're going to get that warm glow in your stomach when you got, you know, Spyro the Dragon or some bullshit on your screen. I don't know. You, you figure out what you want to put on there. I'm not going to bother. I'm going to keep my old one. I like my Devil May Cry 4 themed wallpaper. That's what I'm going to stick to. You do you, okay? Back off. Jesus. Uh, and also, let's talk about just that thing about the screen overlay. Just being able to add friends and, and kind of move them around uh, more easily. If it's not so much of a hassle to add friends while playing online, you're more likely to play online longer. So they're just taking those little tweaks, those little nitpicks. And let's talk about those 3D Blu-rays for a second. PlayStation VR. I have a headset. I'm struggling to find reasons to use it most of the time because it's like, oh, it's a whole hassle. I got to put the camera here. And then sometimes the camera starts to drift because I have to, you know, the cord is not like a perfect line. It's all tangled together. It, it, it is a hassle setting up the PlayStation VR. And a lot of people are like, well, there's no real games I want to play. I just finished Resident Evil 7. What's next? And there isn't anything next. It's a big desert. So by implying more value onto that headset, that's probably going to reduce the chances they're going to flip it on eBay because trust me, those headsets are going for a pretty penny right now 
All in all, very smart, just small fixes. And they say they have more features to come. I wouldn't look forward to it. I, I wouldn't look forward to it because it's probably not that big of a deal. However, let's move on to the next story. Toot toot. The biggest news in this update is exclusively to the PlayStation 4 Pro. Beta testers quickly discovered an unmentioned system option known as Boost Mode. The description reads, quote, experience improved gameplay, including higher frame rates for some games that were released before the introduction of the PlayStation 4 Pro. Turn this off if you experience unexpected behavior during gameplay. Sony later uh, released a statement to the video game website GameSpot stating, Boost Mode lets PS4 Pro run at a higher GPU and CPU clock speed for smoother gameplay on some PlayStation 4 games that were released before the launch of the PlayStation 4 Pro and uh, has have not been updated to support PlayStation 4 Pro. While actual examples have yet to really be released, uh, YouTube user Noel Anderson released a gameplay video of the 2014 Bethesda game, The Evil Within. This game was notable notable for having, uh, you know, more than a few frame rate issues. And the comparison issue, it <laughs> I'm fumbling too much coffee, can you tell? In the comparison video, Boost Mode showed significant frame rate stabilization over the original version. Another user, GameTech IT, saw similar results while playing From Software's 2015 game Bloodborne, but it is worth noting that both games were uh, left at a 30 frames per second frame rape, frame rape? Frame rate cap. So in other words, even if, you know, the PlayStation 4 Pro could maybe produce these games at 60 frames per second, it doesn't really matter. It's going to be 30 frames per second because that is the cap that is actually inside of the game. It would you know, require some sort of patch from the developers to otherwise fix that. So don't get your hopes up uh, too much. But I do want to talk about something here because the PlayStation 4 Pro has been uh, sort of an odd device. I uh, got one uh, earlier this month, uh, early last month, uh, for the reason being that I just figured might as well and also my old playstation 4 was having some sort of issues as it should i've played hundreds of games on it like and installed hundreds of discs i'm sure that after a while it was going to start acting up you know somewhat but here's the thing do you honestly believe that sony just created this option do you honestly believe that they were like well we released the playstation 4 pro what should we do with it oh why don't we create like a boost mode yeah that way people don't have to make patches for their games all the time do you really believe that is what happened or do you think they knew all the way back in september when they had that announcement was it september it was october september October. I don't really remember. It was October of September when they announced the PlayStation 4 Pro. They knew this boost mode was coming and they didn't mention it. Instead, they did this whole thing about HDR and 4K televisions and some games are going to be utilizing it and some games won't. And, you know, we just hope more people do. Please? It was this pathetic display. And I I've not been shy about this. I thought that debut of the PlayStation 4 Pro was terrible. Abysmal. But the reason I think they withheld this feature is because, hey, they announced the PlayStation 4 Slim, they announced the PlayStation 4 Pro, and they discontinued the old model of the PlayStation 4, the original vanilla model. And so, over the past few months, over the holiday season, they've just been selling these things like crazy. And as soon as it's over, as soon as we get into, you know, winter and, and close to spring, they're like, oh, by the way, here's boost mode. What? They knew what they were doing, and it's kind of shitty, actually, because I think a lot of people are like, well, it's not that big of a difference. It just has, you know, a, a terabyte hard drive and maybe 4K support, but I don't own a 4K TV, so screw that. However, 
now that this is out in the open, it's time to ask, should you upgrade to a PlayStation 4 Pro? And the way I'm looking at it is probably. It didn't feel all that essential just a couple of months ago. It's like, oh, okay, well, maybe you'll get some uh, enhancements in games like Steep. You know, uh, you know, maybe we'll make the text look a little bit more clearer on things like The Division. Uh, you know, Battlefield 1 will have a better frame rate while you're playing online. But it was sort of intangible. It was a case-by-case -case basis. But already there are websites putting together lists of all the enhancements to regular games. We're talking about 100% compatibility right now. Every single game can take advantage of boost mode. Now, of course, there's going to be some games that are going to have some odd features uh, that were never intended for boost mode. They can't really utilize it, and maybe you'll have some glitches. Uh, but playing the games that they've been talking about uh, have just seen improved frame rates across the board. I saw footage of Battlefield 4 that just looked amazing. They were saying it was perfect 60 frames per second. No dips whatsoever. And if you played Battlefield 4 when it launched, you know there were a number of frame rate issues. So if you own a PlayStation 4, should you get a PlayStation 4 Pro? And the answer is probably. Now you probably should because regardless of what you own, whether it's some random game on PSN or some AAA game you've got on a disc, it will take advantage of this. I'm sorry if you bought one over the past few months though, because you got screwed over. If you didn't buy a PlayStation 4 Pro, if you bought like a regular PlayStation 4, Sony deceived you intentionally. And they knew this was happening all along. So pretty, pretty crappy. But we have more PlayStation 4 Pro news. Let's move on to toot. Uh, in related news, Square Enix has dated their latest update for Final Fantasy 15. The patch will attempt to fix the often criticized Chapter 13, a slow stealth paced slow-paced stealth scenario inside lengthy hallways. Also included is free DLC episode GLaDO, where players will take control of the character GLaDO in an original adventure. Both will be released on March 28th. However, PlayStation 4 Pro users will also receive an update later this month on February 21st. The patch will allow users to change the game's performance to 60 frames per second, as opposed to the previously capped 30 frames per second, as well as a uh, uncapped version of the frame rate that hit around 45 frames or or, or less. Uh, a new level, uh, cap, time quest, and the ability to change music while writing chocobos will also be included here. Uh, Square Enix also announced that Final Fantasy XII Remaster will be released on the PlayStation 4 on July 11th. Real quick, before we move on to that PlayStation 4 Pro news, um, Chapter 13, in case you don't know, and I'm not going to spoil anything for you if you haven't played Final Fantasy 15, but Chapter 13 is just this garbage garbage chapter in, in, in Final Fantasy 15 that is just these long hallways and you're trying to avoid these monsters but you can kill them pretty easily but it still is makes your character walk super slow and it's it takes forever to get through and I know that uh, Hajime Tabata the director of Final Fantasy 15 was like oh no that was intentional we wanted to create tension don't you understand we wanted to create stress for the player it's like bullshit that was awful, and you know that was awful, otherwise you wouldn't go back and fix it, you know? Well, whatever. But let's talk about this PlayStation 4 Pro update. They're going from 30 frames to 60 frames. It just seems that right now, now that the holiday season is done, now that they have pushed out all those old PlayStation 4 Pros, or old PlayStation 4s, now they're starting to take it to the next level, and now they're trying to really uh, cater to an audience that purchased the PlayStation 4 Pro. And it makes sense, they make more money off of the system, why wouldn't they push it? Uh, and also, it, it reduces the chance that they might move on to other uh, devices like PCs, or the upcoming Xbox One Scorpio, or even the Nintendo Switch. So, all in all, makes sense, just, uh, 
kind of frustrating if you don't have uh, a PlayStation 4 Pro, and th this is what's going on. You will probably see more of this, uh, likely, especially with that boost mode, because like I said, 100% backwards compatibility. But anyway, toot toot, let's talk about what all PlayStation owners are going to get, and yes, we have Xbox and Nintendo news in a bit, I just want to start off with the Sony news. Uh, Sony has revealed their PlayStation Plus games for the month of February, which will be released tomorrow, Tuesday. Uh, we already covered the Xbox Live Games with Gold last week, so if you want to know what those are, you can just listen back to the other show, or probably just Google it, it's, it's probably faster probably faster. On the PlayStation 4, Little Big Planet 3 will be available. Not a Hero, the indie game, will be available. On PlayStation 3, Anna Extended Edition will be available, as will Starwall, the multiplayer-focused couch co-op game. On the Vita, Ninja uh, Senki DX and Torque L will be available. Also worth noting that Starwall and Ninja Senki DX, as well as Torque L will be available on the PlayStation 4 through Crossbuy. So you're actually getting around five games on the PlayStation 4 uh, this month. I gotta admit, I took a look at this and I was extremely happy. Uh, I have not really had much of a chance to play Not a Hero, but it looks incredibly cool. Uh, I'm really happy more people are gonna get a chance of playing Little Big Planet 3. It is the best Little Big Planet, bar none. There's four different characters, they all have their own feel. Uh, I think the creation tools are, are better than they've ever been. And, um, you know, uh, Stephen Fry does the voiceover in the game. And Stephen Fry is amazing. He's this great British actor. Uh, whatever. You probably don't know him. Americans don't know British actors unless they have a wand. A magical wand. And they're like, Harry Potter, let's return the ring to the bullshit. Whatever. <sighs> Bastards. Uh, anyway, but here's a brand new segment that we're going to introduce. Even if PlayStation Plus is good for the month, and I personally think it is. I'm especially excited for that uh, Ninja Psyche DX. That's like a spiritual successor to uh, uh, Game Boy Color games. Looks really cool. Even if it's a good month, there are always people on the official PlayStation blog bitching and moaning in the comments sections. And I'm just going to say they're a little bit overdramatic. And if I'm saying they're overdramatic, you know it's true. So let's take a look at some of those people in a brand new segment called PlayStation Plus Crybabies. <laughs> yes, we're going to read four comments verbatim, and uh, we're going to laugh at them because here we go. Let's here's just an example. Of course, I'm not going to be using any names so that people don't get mad at me. But here we go, and these are the responses to the official PlayStation Plus blog announcement of the games. Here's what he says: Every month they give as trash games LBP question mark. This game is for 12-year-old kids. In 2016, only two nice games we got in plus. Now that LBP question mark? Come on, Sony. Why not last kill zone? It cost less than 10 pounds. Why you doing that for PS4 owners? Why crap on PlayStation Plus each month? My friend, have Xbox and over 60 free games from EA in gold membership. So Microsoft can and you not? After over 10 years with PlayStation 
and six years in plus subscription, I will move to Xbox Scorpio because I don't want to pay extra for playing online and in exchange, I getting games for kids or C-class games. Sony, is that is your method to keeping all your customer happy? Question mark, question mark, question mark. So good luck with that, but without me, PlayStation, this is for the players? Aha, you forgot to put under 14 at the end. Wow, there's just a lot wrong there. I love Xbox Live games with gold. I love my Xbox One, and I am also looking forward to the Scorpio, but what the hell is this about? He says they're all kids' games? First of all, Ninja Sinjeki DX is a spiritual successor to Game Boy Color. How many kids in high school do you think play Game Boy Color these days? Not much. That's for an older audience. And let's talk about Not a Hero, a kids' game? You smash people into bloody pulps. Sure, it's pixel art, but it is an extremely violent game. But of course... He wasn't the only person complaining in the comments. <laughs> Here's another one. Wow, not one of these games interests me. I just bought a year of PlayStation Plus in December and I already regret it. So if you're giving us five 2D platformers this month, that means we'll get five JRPGs next month, right? Please, none of that Chemco shovelware that sells for 99 cents on Android. Why would they give you five JRPGs? How, how does that work? How does that rationale work? By the way, not all these games are uh, platformers. I mean, they have platforming in them, but I mean, if you're just going to judge games based off of jumping, I mean, you know, I guess if you level up in a game, it's a JRPG, right? So yeah, next month, all the games you, you, you can level up in there. I just don't understand. Why, why does it have to be that? Why is that a trade right there? Like, there's a lot of characters jumping this month. Well, I better have JRPGs in March. You nut job. Moving on, here's another one. I know, we got two more of these. I just, I really love these. I went through the whole comments. This next one is in all caps, so please, uh, don't worry, I will make sure to level out the sound so it's not too loud. Can we just get free online gaming back so I can deactivate this horrible plus service? Question mark. Life would be so much easier than dealing with the heartbreak of knowing I'm paying 60 bucks a year for horrible monthly titles I pretty much don't take advantage of. Come on, Sony, be the bigger company and give us our freedom back. I really don't appreciate paying membership fees just for online gaming. Okay. <laughs> Sony, I don't know where you are keeping this person, but please give them their freedom back. Kick the key over to them, let them unlock the cage, give them their freedom back. I don't understand. Paying for online. I understand if you are a PC user, you can raise your eyebrow and be like, well, that is stupid. But guess what? That is the way that every single console works now. The upcoming Nintendo Switch, which we'll talk about in a moment, is also doing that. This is just, what are you giving your freedom back? Like, what the fuck are you talking about? Anyway, here's the last one. This one gave me uh, a bit of a chuckle. So this is the quote-unquote great lineup for Feb Plus games just a couple of weeks before the Nintendo Switch releases. However, this is another good reason for save the money and switch to Nintendo. What? <laughs> like, just random words are capitalized and just prefixes are missing. It's all over the place. I hate to tell you, buddy, go ahead, switch over to Nintendo. You will be paying for online. 
Now, I want to make this very clear. This is not me defending uh, PlayStation. This is not me defending PlayStation Plus. This is just me laughing at people having motherfucking meltdowns in the comments section of a blog. Ha 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 ha. And they think they're making the difference. They think they're talking directly to Sony. I'm sure Sony reads that and is like, <laughs> whatever, you'll be back. And you probably will. You probably were, because that's how crybabies work. Anyway, toot toot. Speaking of Nintendo, President Tatsumi Kimishima recently spoke with the Japanese pup financial newspaper, Niki. During the interview, he stated the current pricing for their paid online service is yet to be determined, but their current estimates range from 2,000 yen to 3,000 yen. While that does convert to around 18 to 26 dollars, it's worth mentioning Japanese currency is currently weak, meaning a more likely estimate will be 20 to 30 American dollars. As previously mentioned, the Switch online service will be free when it launches later next month. However, it will switch over to a paid subscription service sometime in the fall. Uh, the service is required to play online, but will also include one previously selected NES or SNES digital game rental, which will be lost to you uh, the next month. You know, I'm sure this is going to do very little to quell the outrage of the internet fans that just do not want to pay for online. I get it, I get it. You don't want to pay money, but that's the way these things work. At the very least, uh, this is the president of Nintendo making these statements. So I would say $20-$30 is absolutely a sure bet. There would be no reason for him, because yeah, you gotta understand, why would he go out of his way to lie, especially when uh, the service is going to be launching later this fall and the console is launching in less than a month. It's like 20, 26 days right now. Uh, I do think this is a good time because this does show that Nintendo understands what they are offering fans. They look at PlayStation Plus, they look at Xbox Live, they get great games, a whole lineup of games every single month, in addition to other features like cloud saves. And, you know, Nintendo probably isn't going to be doing cloud saves. They're only going to give you one game rental a month, just one, and basically you're just paying to play online. And so they understand that they can't offer or they don't want to match that value. So instead they're like, fuck it, 20 to $30 a year, bar none, which, what is that? Uh, what does that translate into? I don't actually know. That is embarrassing. It's like $2.50 a month, I think. Right, that's probably right. $2.50, even if it was uh, $30. I don't know, check the math on that. But I will give Nintendo credit. That sounds excellent. But I'm sure people will still be complaining. Anyway, toot toot. Nintendo is also defending the current launch lineup, which features titles such as Zelda Breath of the Wild, 1-2 Switch, Snipper Clips, and a slew of re-releases. Nintendo's president, Kimishima, responded to the concerns during an investor meeting by stating, quote, some of those who have seen this launch lineup have expressed the opinion that the launch lineup is weak. Our thinking is, our thinking in arranging the 2017 software lineup is that it is important to continue to provide new titles regularly without long gaps. This encourages consumers to continue actively playing the system, maintaining buzz and spurs, continue sales, momentum for the Nintendo Switch. Kimishima went on to mention the developer interest has expanded with 70 developers currently working on over 100 games from the Nintendo Switch. This is up from the previously announced 50 developers and 80 games. Real quick, we do need to talk about this. I, you know, I, I wish you could take his word. This whole idea of just being like, well, you know, the launch lineup is, is weak, uh, but we are of the belief that we don't want any sort of droughts. And he didn't say droughts. He didn't use that word drought when he was talking about the the 2017 roadmap, but as many people have already pointed out, this is almost verbatim 
what Iwata said, the former president Iwata said, when they launched the Nintendo Wii U. They said, oh, the reason we're not going to have all these games front end the system is because we don't want to have long droughts. And if you are a Wii U owner, you know that happened regardless of, of, of their intentions. There were just periods where nothing was coming out and they'd be like, whoop. Here's Mario Kart, and everyone's like, oh, holy shit, Mario Kart's amazing, I love Mario Kart. Okay, bye, see you later, forever. What? Like, they would just go away. It would be like a, a game every two months. In fact, I'm sure if you were to stack up all the truly great Wii U titles, and I do mean truly great, you don't get any sort of, like, you know, wishy-washy bullshit, like, uh, Paper Mario's pretty great. No, 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 no. I'm talking about top-tier Nintendo games. You probably only averaged out about one every couple of months throughout the, the entire system's uh, lifespan, which is pretty depressing. Now, on to the next bit. He's talking about like, oh, oh my God, 100 games? We got 80 developers? We're drowning in it. Let me tell you about it. It's, it's crazy. And that is normal for any new console to make a similar announcement. You're, you will see something like that when, uh, you know, Microsoft or, or, or Sony announces something. They did so with the PlayStation 4 Pro. And I'm sure Microsoft will do it with the Scorpio. Be like, look at these developers that are supporting us. But when you see Sony or when you see Microsoft make those statements, you know what they're talking about. You're like, oh, okay, so I'm sure Capcom's working on it. I'm sure that uh, CD Projekt Red is working on it. I am sure that, uh, you know, uh, Electronic Arts, Activision, Ubisoft, you have confidence. And you also know that's probably going to be the biggest franchises as well as the most popular studios making those games. You just know that. But with Nintendo saying, oh, we got 100 games, there's just a little bit of doubt. You have to take it all with a grain of salt because you look at their launch lineup currently and they're having things like, you know, Little Inferno. Little Inferno was a launch title for the Wii U. The day the Wii U launched, there was Little Inferno and now they're like, we're bringing Little Inferno to the Switch day of release. It's like, what big deal? So I wish it could be like, hell yeah, look at that. Look at all those developers. But who knows what they're going to toss on there? Is it just going to be a bunch of re-releases? Then who cares? I mean, I'm excited to play I Am Setsuna on the Switch. You know, it's a little JRPG, but how many other people are? I don't know. It's it's depressing, but, you, you know, you got to take everything Nintendo says with a grain of salt now because they, they just do not have the track record anymore. Sad. Toot toot. One game that won't be on the Nintendo Switch is Miyamoto's long-in-development Pro Project Giant Robo. Originally revealed during E3 2014, the game features a gigantic robot wandering throughout a city. Little was known about the title other than it used motion controls on the gamepad. No, so there you go. We have another Shigeru Miyamoto game that is just not going to be released. You got uh, Star Fox 2, and, and you've got this, and I'm sure some other projects that will never see the light of day. And that's kind of depressing because, you know, Miyamoto hasn't spent much time working on new IPs in a while. Like, he's he's kind of hands-on with Mario Maker, kind of, sort of, not all the way. He's kind of hands-on with uh, Star Fox Zero. Once again, he's not all in on it. And the idea of Project Robo was kind of intriguing just to see what is this guy thinking about? You know, what is, what is he working on while all these other people are creating projects? I have to imagine the reason it's not being released is because Miyamoto doesn't want to release it. Trust me, if Miyamoto's like, hey, we're going to release this game, Nintendo would be like, absolutely, you pretty much built this company. Thank you for Donkey Kong, Mario, Zelda, Pikmin. Thank you for everything, whatever you want to do, Miyamoto. So I have to imagine this is Miyamoto, you know, looking at what it is, maybe not being happy with it, or just looking at the business right now, because he's higher up in Nintendo, he gets those financial numbers, he's in those meetings, looking at what they're doing and going, you know what, we don't need to spend any more money on Project Robo. And in fact, maybe, just maybe, uh, it's been this way for some time. Who knows when they stop development? Nintendo just finally admitted that it's not being developed, but 
They're kind of closed off, so you never know with them. Anyway, toot toot. Speaking of 2014, the remaster of the 2004 original Xbox game Phantom Dust will be released in the next few months. Responding to a question on Twitter, Xbox boss Phil Spencer stated, quote, should ship before E3. Not to be confused with the previously, uh, previously announced sequel, reboot, whatever you want to call it, uh, which is currently not in development, this is a faithful recreation uh, or maybe just a sort of uh, uprising of an original Xbox game that featured car combat, card combat, and uh, third-person action. You know, there's not a whole lot of people that know about Phantom Dust, and I don't blame you. It was like a Japanese game. I think it was Majesco that published it. It was an original Japanese game on the original Xbox. Those don't usually go together. I can only think of a few. I mean, there was a Shin Megami Tensei game on the original Xbox that no one ever saw, and there was a uh, there was Namco's uh, Breakdown. Breakdown it was like a first-person uh, melee game. There weren't too many Japanese exclusives on there. But man, if you never played Phantom Dust, it's a real good time. It basically, you get a, a deck of cards, and you are fighting against another online opponent. But instead of just you know taking out your gun and, and shooting them, you're using that collection of cards to perform actions. So you're like, okay. I'm going to increase my luck, I'm going to attack here, I'm going to buff up my defense. If you're a fan of something like, I don't know, Hearthstone, but you also want a little bit more of like a third-person shooter, this is right up your alley. And it's also worth noting, this is going to be an Xbox Play Anywhere title, so you can play it on your PCs, or you can play it on your Xboxes. That's pretty cool, huh? I think so. I really do. Toot toot! Microsoft has also announced three new games for Xbox One backwards compatibility. They are... Juju! Mad Tracks, Stuntman Ignition. None of these are very good. Toot toot. Sad news for augmented humans. Square Enix has placed the Deus Ex franchise on hiatus. Word comes from the video game website Eurogamer, which describes a ballooning development cycle and overly ambitious world building plan for the decision. Square Enix downplayed the rumors when it responded to Eurogamer, saying, quote, well, we are still working on the ex we still mm, let me try that again. Take two. Okay. I feel good about this one. Here we go. Alright, three, two, one. Alright. While we are still working on expanding the Deus Ex universe, along with creating new content and updates for Deus Ex Mankind Divided, we are also devoting our talents towards working on working with Crystal Dynamics uh, and Marvel on the Avengers project. Uh, the franchise is comprised of, well, that's the end of the quote. The franchise is comprised of six games, ranging from its PC original, its sequel, two mobile titles, and the recent revamp of Human Revolution and Last Fall's Mankind Divided. Apparently, Mankind Divided reportedly underperformed when it was compared to 2011's Human Revolution, despite a general, generally positive critical reception. You know, if this is true, that bums me out. Because here's the thing about Deus Ex. Love the first game. Second game, Invisible War, not so good. Haven't really messed around with the mobile titles. I thought uh, Human Revolution, the game from 2011, wasn't all that good. I saw a lot of people were like, oh, this game's amazing. Didn't feel that at all. And then, you know, last year they released Mankind Divided, and it blew me away. I thought it was a fantastic game. I loved going around all this world and, and just kind of taking in the culture and learning what the future was going to be like and also having tons of side activities and just random things, random encounters where it's like, oh, how can I handle this? Am I going to be all pacifistic? Am I going to be stealthy? Or am I going to be just upfront guns blazing? And there were so many different abilities to upgrade. That game was fantastic. But unfortunately, and they're not lying here, the game didn't sell all that well. And they were putting a lot of money into Deus Ex. 
two mobile titles and and you know just a lot of things i believe they're working on god what was it there's like some sort of book or, or story or, or something that you could read about the deus ex universe there in other words they were investing a lot of time and as much as i love that as much as i love the last game if you're Square Enix and it's like, well, what are we going to do right now? Do you want to work on, on another Deus Ex? You know the games that aren't selling too hot right now? Do you want to work on those? Or do you want to work on Marvel's The Avengers, the video game? Which is already one of the most anticipated games out there. They haven't even shown off a single screenshot, but people are anticipating it. If you're under the age of 14, I'm sure you are mad hyped for this. Like, shit yeah. They're finally making an Avengers game for the Xbox One, PlayStation 4, and PC. I am hyped for this, right? And on the other hand, you have this weird sci-fi thing that is like mostly geared towards 30 and 40 year olds. I mean, it makes business sense. It sucks, but it makes business sense. What else can you say? I just hope that they are true to their word and are going to still deliver some really good DLC for, for, for Deus Ex Mankind Divide because that game is underrated and you should definitely check it out if you get a chance, if you do. Okay, moving on. Toot toot. And lastly, Tony Hawk, yes, the Tony Hawk, has announced his return to video games. Speaking with Gen Chem Magazine, the Birdman explained his next digital ride won't be with his long-term partner, Activision. Quote, not from Activision, I'm potentially working on something, but it's so early I couldn't talk about it. I don't have any contracts signed, but it's exciting. I feel like it's within the right, it's with the right people, so I should know more in the next couple months. End quote. The last Tony Hawk game, of course, was uh, from the Activision franchise, Tony Hawk's Pro Skater 5, which received an abysmal 32 on Metacritic. Yikes. Here's the thing. Tony Hawk getting out there and saying, I'm going to keep working on video games. Makes sense. He made a ton of money off the Tony Hawk's Pro Skater franchise. And personally, I'm just happy to hear that people are working on skateboarding games, especially because EA recently confirmed they're not developing Skate 4, or at least it's not in current development. Skateboarding is a very unique culture. It's very cool to see it rep replicated digitally because even though anyone can skateboard, you know, just jump on a board and kick around, it's all good. Not many people could actually perform tricks. It's risky. So it's fun to live vicariously through these skateboarders. And just to be a part of kind of like, uh, you know, a little bit of a punk scene, a little bit of a hip-hop scene, uh, kind of merged together. It's cool, especially because it all takes place outdoors and there's the, it's a big playground. It's very liberating. I love skateboard games. They're, they're super fun. But take it all with a grain of salt. I hate to say that again, but Tony Hawk is not the best... Uh, 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 critic when it comes to video games. I mean, this is the guy that was like, oh, Tony Hawk Ride. You know, we got this plastic skateboard. It's awesome. And when no one bought it, he's like on Twitter saying, if anyone buys this game, I will, uh, I'll play with you online. <laughs> like that is desperation right there. Uh, hopefully these new people can do better than what Activision did, which isn't really saying much because Activision just did a shit job. They didn't really take anything from the original Tony Hawk games and, and bring it into the modern era. It felt like uh, just a nearsighted throwback that didn't have the polish. The, the controls weren't that tight. It was just all over the place. And just the level design and the layout was just lazy. It was just a bunch of assets dumped on there. You, you just expect a little bit more from your uh, Tony Hawk games. Um, but of course, I remember when they announced, uh, or when the Tony Hawk 5 came out and everybody was just super angry because the game was $60. How dare they charge $60? So I, I, I guess I have to go back and play it. Because the game, I think, is about $20 right now. It's always on sale, like $15 and $10. So the game must be better now, right? Remember the problem with Tony Hawk is they charge $60? Not that it was a bad game. 
So it must be better now, right? Because they dropped the price. I'm making a bit of a point right now, aren't I? Whatever. Enough of the rant. Toot toot! Here are the games that are going to be out this week. On Tuesday, on the PlayStation 4, the much-anticipated Neo will be out. Of course, this is the game from uh, Team Ninja, their very first original IP since the original Dead or Alive. Pretty exciting. Also, Uncanny Valley will be released on the PlayStation 4, Xbox One, and Vita. There's some Vita love for you. Toho Double Focus will be released on the PlayStation 4 and Vita. Splasher will be released on the PC. Atella Sophie, the alchemist of the mysterious book, will be released on PC. WWE 2K17 will finally suplex its way onto the PC. Bleed 2 will be released on the PC. And on Wednesday, Brutal will be released on the PC, spelt B-R-U-T at sign and L. Very cool way to spell spell your game there. That's super cool. Just put whatever shit you want in your name. You know, helps your SEO jerks. Beep, beep. That's going to do it for the hype train. You know, it's February, which means love is in the air. But love can't buy you money. To demonstrate this, I know a place that's always warm with the glow of cold, hard cash. That's right, it's time for... The Chart Park. The land where money grows on trees. Yes, the Chart Park. This is the part of the show we find out which fat cats of Wall Street will tip their top hats towards Lady Luck as we discuss all the legal, business, and financial news in the video game industry. <laughs> we will. We're going to start off with some bad, bad, bad news for Oculus. The trial between the VR company, Oculus, and Bethesda owner, ZeniMax, has concluded, and the news isn't good for Facebook. ZeniMax will receive $500 million as decided by a jury. Though Oculus was found innocent of theft, jurors still concluded their VR technology was breaking ZeniMax copyright. Oculus as a company will pay $250 million, $200 for, a non, for breaking a non-disclosure agreement, and an extra $50 million for copyright infringement, as well as an additional $50 million for false designation. Brendan Irieb, the former CEO of Oculus, brace yourself here, will pay $150 million. The former CEO of Oculus will personally have to pay $150 million, while Palmer Lucky, you know, uh, the founder, one of the founders of Oculus, is once again not living up to his name and will pay $50 million. Responding to the outcome, ZeniMax stated they might attempt to go further. Quote, we will consider what steps we need to take to ensure there will be no ongoing use of our misappropriated technology, including by seeking an injunction to restrain Oculus and Facebook from their ongoing use of computer code that the jury found infringed ZeniMax's copyright. Essentially, that hints that they would prevent any sort of continued manuf manuf manufacturing manufacturing they would prevent any future manufacturing of vr headsets as well as sales as well as of course their mobile divisions software being released on the phones oculus despite losing viewed this decision as a slight victory quote the heart of the case was about whether oculus stole zenimax's trade secrets and the jury found decisively in our favor we're obviously disappointed by a few other aspects of today's verdict but we are undeterred 
yeah, you know, $500 million. You know, there was a few other aspects we were too thrilled with, but, you know, uh, whatever. We felt like we came out on top. Uh, the lawsuit stemmed from allegations that former ZeniMax employee John Carmack knowingly reused code created during his tenure at, uh, at, a, at his new employer, Oculus, uh, after deleting data and transferring it to a USB drive. John Carmack wrote a lengthy response to the news on his personal Facebook. Quote, The ZeniMax versus Oculus trial is over. I disagree with their characterization, misdirection, and selective omissions. I never tried to hide or wipe any evidence and all of my data is accounted for, contrary to some stories being spread. Early on in his testimony, I, he's talking about someone that was on the stand talking about technology. I actually didn't write that down. Shame on me. But here's what John Carmack said. Early on in his testimony, I wanted to stand up and say, Sir, as a man of computer science, I challenge you to defend the efficiency of your methodology with data, including false positives and negative rates. After he said he was absolutely certain there was non-literal copying in several cases, I just wanted to shout, you lie! By the, by the end, after several cases of absolute certainty, I was wondering if gangsters had kidnapped his grandchildren and were holding them for ransom. Well, John Carmack sure has some weird daydreams when he's in a courtroom. I, I think we can all uh, we can all assume that. Uh, but at the end of the day, John Carmack should be angry. He should be disappointed and he should be frustrated because John Carmack is the reason there's this whole lawsuit between ZeniMax and Oculus. If he wasn't there, there would be no lawsuit because, of course, he was working at id Software, which is owned by ZeniMax. He developed a lot of VR code. ZeniMax even said that, you know, of course, he took the code, but he also took a lot of the uh, id Tech 5 code from Rage along with him when he went over to Oculus. And because he joined that company, he cost them $500 million. He cost that company $250 million, as well as another uh, $50 million, as well as his, his former boss, I guess it's his current boss, $150 million, as well as the founder of the company, $50 million. If you're Facebook right now, and I get it, Facebook has a lot of money, what do they care? Well, they still care a little bit, because they're looking at this lawsuit, even though they don't have to pay out any cash. And they're looking at what it does to their reputation. They spent over $2 billion to acquire this company. And what have they gotten in return so far? Modest headset sales, you know, just a little bit better than the HTC Vive. Not as good as the PlayStation VR. They've got some headset sales. They got some integration into smartphones. Some, you know, some people are picking it up. A lot of people are picking up those mobile headsets. They don't cost a whole lot of money, so they're getting some integration there, some association with this budding technology. And they also got the founder of the company being tied to white supremacy memes. That wasn't good. Now they've got a lawsuit saying that, oh yeah, that technology that you purchased? Well, guess what? That is actually our technology. That is ZeniMax's technology, and we're going to be putting a halt on you using that whatsoever. So what exactly did they buy? They bought a name, they bought an opportunity, and they bought a lot of headaches. I wouldn't be surprised if, you know, and John Carmack is a brilliant guy. He created uh, the modern first-person shooter with Wolfenstein, uh, with Doom, with Quake. He, he's, he's a brilliant person. His hobby is literally rocket science. He builds rockets when he's not working. I'm not making that up. That's an actual hobby of his. But right now, if, if your Facebook gets to be like, what the hell was this all about? Why did we do this? This was a waste of our time. This is insane. Uh, we could have built our own VR firm. We could have done our own VR thing. Why did we pay $2 million, $2 billion just to have these issues? So you know what? I wouldn't be surprised if John Carmack just kind of steps back 
you know, he's given a little bit of a window seat, like, hey, we don't want any of your ideas because hey, we don't want to pay any more money. I know that might sound like I'm exaggerating, but seriously, a $500 million uh, result because of John Carmack, one person who, by the way, doesn't have to pay a single cent. Anyway, moving on, the next story is about PlayStation and Sony. Now, you might assume that they are one and the same, and they are. Sony owns PlayStation. PlayStation is a division of Sony. But from a business perspective, there's not much to talk about in terms of shared success. Let's start off with, with PlayStation news. Uh, a recent Sony financial report announced 9.7 million PlayStation 4s were shipped between October 1st and December 31st. This news uh, shortly follows the announcement that 6.2 million PlayStation 4 consoles were sold during the holiday season. While these figures easily put PlayStation uh, way in the lead of any other console manufacturer, Sony itself fared much worse. This is what we're talking about. PlayStation's doing very well. Let's talk about Sony as an entire company. Overall, the company saw a decrease in profits by 54.3% year on year. That same three-month period, they saw 9.7 million PlayStation 4s shipped. They also saw a significant drop of operating income for the entire company at $796 million, down over a billion dollars from the year prior. Third quarter revenue stabilized a bit better, only dipping down uh, by $20 billion at a 7.1% drop. I should say that their overall quarterly revenue was $20.6 billion. Not that it dropped $20.6 billion, it dropped 7.1%. Uh, while the game and network sales grew 5.2%, reaching $5.3 billion for the quarter, with profits up 24.5%. And this is what I'm talking about right now. We, we, we talk a lot about, uh, you know, how is Microsoft doing? How is Sony doing? How is Nintendo doing? When you talk about Sony in particular, it's really the tale of two companies. You've got this, this one area of the company that is making PlayStation the best selling console of this generation, the fastest selling console ever so far in the history of the medium. They're doing extremely well, hand over fist. They released the PlayStation 4, does amazing. They released the PlayStation 4 Pro, apparently that's doing good because they sold 6.2 million PlayStations over the holiday season. Even the PlayStation VR headset, that's sold out everywhere. Sony is on fire right now when it comes to video games. But they're not just video games. There are many, many, many other things. They make televisions. They make cameras. They make bizarre bourgeoisie gadgets, you know, like, uh... I don't know, rolling balls with cameras on them so that your cat can play with them. Sounds pretty cool, but I'm not going to spend $750 on that. They are a movie company. You've seen those Spider-Man movies. Now they're working with uh, Marvel right now to make that Spider-Man Homecoming because they just weren't getting that big of a return on their investment. They are a multi-tentacled beast, and almost every other area besides video games is suffering. So it should be no surprise that the rest of the divisions are attempting to cash in on one way or another. There's a reason they're saying, hey, why don't you buy some 3D Blu-rays? Because guess what? They make a profit off of every Blu-ray as one of the founding companies uh, uh, to design and invent the Blu-ray format. There's a reason they're releasing the PlayStation 4 Pro and saying, hey, 4K, that's the way to go because they make 4K televisions. It's, it's this case where... Sony is a success because it's it's uh, when it launched at least it was cheaper than the competition it was better than the competition now I love the Xbox I'm not dissing the Xbox I'm just saying this was the perception it's got better graphics it's got better hardware and it was only $400 compared to the $500 that is their success 
And you look at the rest of the Sony and they just don't seem to understand that. They're trying to sell people DSLR cameras in, in a smartphone world where anybody can just take an Instagram and it's good enough for them. They're struggling with that. So they're trying to keep as much as their as, as much of their company onto PlayStation success as possible. And it's just, it's struggling right now. And there's some people out there that are saying, man, you know, PlayStation should be its own company because they get it and Sony doesn't. And I guess you could look at it that way, but there were many cases where, you know, uh, Sony kept PlayStation afloat during those early years of, of, the, of the PlayStation 3. So it's kind of this, this odd relationship. So when we say that Sony isn't doing all that well, if I say Sony is not doing well and you go, what are you, what are you talking about? The PlayStation is doing, it's doing amazing. Just keep that in mind. Profits are, were, were down 54.3% year on year. Now they're not gonna close anytime soon. Still a billion dollar company, still lots of success, but Sony itself is struggling. PlayStation is strong. So remember that when we talk about it in the future and don't leave me angry notes like, how oh, can you say that? How oh, can you say the PlayStation's not doing good? <laughs> anyway, let's talk about Nintendo. Despite a lame duck home console and lagging sales and a series of unfavorable quarters, Nintendo showed a surprising increase in profit over the past nine month period in their latest financial report. All told, the March 31st to December 31st raked in $909 million in profit. Uh, that is a 153.1% increase uh, compared to the same nine month period in 2015. Total sales stacked up to $2.7 billion, uh, a 27% decrease from the year prior. So in other words, uh, you're seeing uh, an increase in profit, but a, a decrease in overall sales. Operating income saw a similar slip up with a 38% drop resulting in $231 million. Uh, much of this was the result of the abysmal sales of the Wii U as Nintendo failed to ship their promised 800,000 units as it originally planned, falling short to 760,000 units, a drop of 75% compared to the year prior. Jesus. Uh, games fared slightly better, only seeing 12.4 million copies, a drop of 45%. 45% in game sales, drops. Uh, 3DS salvaged much of the period with 6.4 million units sold, up 10% to the year prior, and 46.7 million games, a 20% jump year on year. Nearly one third of all 3DS games sold were either Pokemon Moon or Pokemon Sun, and that's impressive. We'll save the uh, Super Mario Run uh, news for Pocket Talk, but uh, remember how we were talking about how how Sony is struggling. They're really two different companies. You could sort of say that about Nintendo if you were to really segment their 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 home console software and hardware with their portable uh, division. If they didn't have Pokemon, this would have sunk their entire quarter. It would have been abysmal. Talk about the Wii U for just one second. They, they're like, well, we'll ship 800,000 units. And they couldn't even achieve that. They couldn't even achieve that. Th that's embarrassing. They set a goal, they didn't reach it, that's very bad for business. When you're trying to get people to invest, you 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 have to be sort of a, uh, you know, a predictor. Uh, you have to essentially hit a very certain sweet spot where it's something that you will not only reach, but you will overcome. This is something that you see uh, EA and Activision do all the time. Here's how many copies of this we're going to sell, and they usually sell, you know, 12% uh, better, because they want to always overachieve, but they also don't want to lowball their their predictions, otherwise it's, uh, you know, it just seems like they're, you know, it's it's just disingenuous. And, and I think even partially illegal 
Uh, so that's why they don't do that. I uh, I don't know. Uh, 3DS this year has made, or, or last year really made all the right moves. They had things like Fire Emblem. They had things like, uh, you know, um, uh, Pokemon Sun and Moon. But, you know, the Wii U not selling well, that's all on Nintendo. They let that system die on the vine. What were the games that really came out last year that were any good? I hear people say Fire Emblem, Sharp, FE, whatever that uh, Shimogami Tensei crossover with Fire Emblem, that was supposed to be really good. That didn't sell all that well. So, even in Japan, it didn't sell well. So, it's like, uh, okay, I guess that's great. Star Fox Zero, that wasn't any good. Um, just a ton of bad games. You know, Paper Mario, I guess, is okay. It's all right. It's not amazing. So, you know, they, they create no incentive to purchase the console. And even the GameCube, in, in its last days, had reasons to buy the consoles. Like, you know, the first Battalion Wars, kind of a curio, but it was like, hey, here's something different. A third-person shooter from Nintendo. That's kind of cool. This year, they had none of that. Uh, also worth noting, Nintendo reported that they sold 1.5 million NES classics. And I want to highlight this real quick because we did a show uh, about six six months back where I said that the NES Classic was going to outsell the PlayStation 4 and the Xbox One. I was wrong. And yes, of course, we can blame the fact that Nintendo failed to meet demand. They didn't uh, ship enough units, but hey, that's not how this works. I was wrong. I admit I was wrong. That's why I'm doing this right now. So if in case I ever screw up, don't worry, I'll let you know. <laughs> <laughs> Let's move on. Konami may have sunset much of their video games division, but that hasn't stopped their growing success. The Japanese Pachinko, Arcade, and Gym Company saw a 70% increase in overall profits between March 31st and December 31st with $261 million in profit. This is especially impressive given an 8.5% drop in revenue to $1.45 billion. While the console... And PC games went mostly unmentioned. Konami highlighted its mobile titles for phones, obviously, and pachinko machines for the bulk of the profit. The reason I put this story in here is because uh, there's a real perception when it comes to Konami. They kicked out Kojima, they stopped making Contra, and, and they basically killed off the Castlevania series. How dare Konami do that? You got Jamal Del Toro on Twitter saying, fuck Konami, and people in uh, comment sections around the world saying, fuck Konami. But then at the end of the day, it's important to note they're doing great. They're doing better than Nintendo is right now. And that sucks. I know, because you see things like Metal Gear Survive, and it's like, oh, that's not what Kojima would have done. It doesn't really matter to them. They don't really focus on video games anymore. Your nostalgia doesn't matter compared to tiny metal balls that people like to play in pachinko parlors. That's what they prefer. They don't want Metal Gear. They want Metal Ball. And they're doing just fine without you. That, that stings, doesn't it? It stings. Moving on, Capcom didn't share in the good times as both overall sales and profit slipped. Overall profit hit a meager $24 million over the past nine-month period, down 60% year-on-year. Operating income saw a similar plummet of 52% with only $4.5 million. How is that possible? Sales only saw a 6% slip with $472 million. That's sales, not profit. All right, guys, show of hands. How many of you bought a Capcom game in the past year? And you can't say Resident Evil 7, because this was all before Resident Evil 7. Show of hands. Show of hands. That's right. Pretty much nobody. Because if you look at the uh, statistics, not many people bought Street Fighter V. Great game. I love it. Not many people bought it. Not many people even picked up the most recent Monster Hunter. That really lagged in sales. That's pretty depressing. 
But that's the truth. Nobody bought uh, Umbrella Corpse, that online third-person shooter from, from Resident Evil. That just didn't do well for them. So where are they getting these sales from? Well, the areas that they highlighted were the re-releases of Resident Evil 4 and Resident Evil 5 on current gen. And that's pretty de depressing. That's actually kind of scary because they can't rely on re-releases all the way through. They're running out of re-releases. They're already back to last gen re-releases. What else are they gonna do? They already released Mega Man. That didn't do incredibly well. I mean, they re-released Street Fighter 4. That didn't do incredibly well. They re-released Marvel vs. Capcom 3 on the PlayStation 4. That's coming to the Xbox One and PC in the near future. They're running out of things to re-release. They need to focus on creating new IP. Where is this generation's Dead Rising? Where is this generation's Lost Planet? They need to take a risk, but they really can't afford to. Which is why it's also important to note that they are taking some of their old IP and they're focusing on, on new areas of entertainment. They're talking about making that Mega Man animated series, things like that, things that they can, they can really grow from. Because right now, uh, you know, what are they gonna do? They don't have anything. They really don't. I mean, what, what's in the cards for Capcom? I don't even remember. I'm trying to think right now. Resident Evil 7 was the only thing I could recall. And, it, and if Monster Hunter sales are slipping, uh, even though it wasn't a main entry Monster Hunter game, it was still a Monster Hunter game, and it underperformed, that's really, really scary, because that has always been, uh, you know, that has been their go-to franchise to make money. When everything else was failing, over in Japan, Monster Hunter sold like gangbusters, but apparently... Uh, that is that is not the case. Uh, they also mentioned that they're going to be focusing more on the VR market after Resident Evil 7, which obviously had uh, VR support for PlayStation. Super cool. VR. Budding technology. Go for it. I'm not sure that's where you're going to get a lot of money, though. Like, uh, they, they would be banking on the success of VR, which I would not recommend a giant AAA company that is sort of on shifting sand to, to really put all their efforts behind. Need to focus on bigger pictures. Best of luck, Capcom. I love you, buddy. Hope you're doing okay. <laughs> anyway, moving on. 2016's Doom reboot was one of the most celebrated games of the year for its superb single player, but one of the most one of the often overlooked experiences was its snap map feature, allowing players to easily create stages of their own. However, Bethesda, uh, Bethesda's owner, Zenimax, certainly took notice and have acquired the snap map developer Escalation Studios. According to Zenimax, Escalation is already working on a number of titles alongside other ZeniMax studios, though no games or names were given. So that's what you got right there. Snap Map and the Doom game. How many people used it? Not many, I assume. I, I, I'm sure there are people out there that are still making stages and having a blast, but you know, I spent about a few hours with it because I was doing that Doom video back when the game launched, but that was that was it for me. I was like, okay, cool. And I, I quickly moved on. Uh, same with the multiplayer. Didn't get a whole lot out of that. It was all about the single player for Doom. And I'm a little concerned here because they're putting all this money into uh, SnapMap and uh, or at least the company that makes it. I would hope that they're not just putting that in there to repackage it in other games and be like, hey, make your own levels because I do not give a shit. I do not want to play anyone else's levels. I hope they use this technology to allow game designers, level designers to sort of make a little bit of a sketch, you know, kind of draw an outline for what they would like to do with the stage. That is where I find uh, th that perhaps the most useful. I don't care if some 14-year-old makes a big circle and calls it crazy circle. It's my favorite stage. Like, I don't care about that. Hopefully, that's what they're using this technology for. That'd be great because then they can take that outline, actually build it, and, uh, and, and really polish it up. That'd be cool. Anyway, toot toot. I just did toot toot. We're not in the hype train. We're in the chart park. What the fuck's wrong with me, man? Okay. Probably because we have another story coming up that's a, it's a little touchy. 
a little touchy. Here we go. President Donald Trump's immigration ban. Look, I'm going to stop you right there, okay? We're not going to get political. We are not going to get political. Relax. We were just talking about the in implementation, implementation of a recent uh, political decision that is affecting people. We're not going to get on if it's right or wrong. We're just going to talk about it, okay? Because it's talking about video games. This was brought up. Uh, anyway, the immigration ban took many by surprise by its sudden implementation with a continued conflict between the new administration and separate branches of the government. Many international developers have announced they will not be traveling to trade shows. However, Serious Sam developer Digital Devolver has offered assistance to those affected. The company announced intentions to show off as many games as possible from developers from the affected countries at the upcoming Game Developers Conference in San Francisco. By submitting a build to Devolver, the studio will have PCs and HTC uh, VR units set up running during the show. Space, however, will be limited, so hopefully get that in quick. Look, like I said, we're not talking about the politics of the situation, but there is something to consider here. If you're a developer and you are in one of those affected countries, uh, and you're like, okay, uh, I guess I'm not going to be going to that trade show, and then you hear, oh, no, no, this judge said it's okay now. You can, you can come to the country. They'd be like, fuck yeah, all right, let's get on the plane. And then you land, and it's like, oh, no, they, they overturned the decision. You got to get back on the plane. There's a lot of back and forth going on right now. No one's no one's really confident on if they can travel to the United States if they are in one of those countries. Because while they're in the air, it could change. It could. It already has for some people. So you've got to give credit to Digital Devolver for taking that extra step and be like, look, you can't show up. That sucks. You know, send us your games. We'll show it off for you. And I know there'll be some people out there that are like, who cares about trade shows? We live in a digital age. Just download the demo. That's how you get things done. But no, 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 no. When it comes to business, it's not what you have. It's not what you know. It really is who you know. And having a, a face to go alongside a, a project is what really gets you ahead, in, in especially if you're an independent developer. And they're not going to be there. So Digital Devolver offering to be that face is extremely helpful. Regardless of how you feel about the, the uh, current ban, that's a good thing. That really helps them out. Anyway, move on. Lastly, some sad news for the video game world. Namco founder Masayai Nakamura has passed away at age 91. Yes, he was the founder of Namco. Nakamura was instrumental in the popularization of video games in Japan. Originally focused, originally he focused on theme parks when he founded Nakamura Amusement Machine Manufacturing Company 62 years ago in 1955, and the company was known as Namco. Yes, really, Nakamura Amusement Machine Manufacturing Company. That's what Namco stands for. So his name is literally in uh, in that company. Uh, but the company would later nurture the budding arcade market with classics like Rally X and Pac-Man. Now, this is all the light and fluffy shit. I'm sure if you heard that Nakamura died, you heard a lot of things about him. Probably things that aren't true. I saw a number of websites saying, oh, RIP the creator of Pac-Man. He didn't create Pac-Man. He was a businessman. He did not create Pac-Man. I assure you. So that's what you're going to read everywhere else. But you want to hear some weird shit about Nakamura? I'm going to let you in on some weird shit about Nakamura. Here we go. Nakamura became known for his quick temper and overbearing nature in business, never afraid to speak his mind. Namco became such a recognized giant in the video game industry, it became the first licensed third-party developer for Nintendo's Famicom. Previously, all games were made by Nintendo, but when Nakamura met uh, uh, with uh, Hiroshi Yamamuchi, the president of, of Nintendo, they became the very first 
third-party developer on the Famicom, and were given favorable terms, higher profits, more games that they could release. They were given more leeway than other people. But five years later, he was shocked to discover Nintendo would limit their output to five games a year. Angered by this, he began denouncing Nintendo in the press and even filed a lawsuit. He would later uh, take down his lawsuit. I, I know what you're thinking. Big deal. That's not crazy enough. Okay, we're going to get a little weirder on this one. Follow me closely here. When Atari floundered in the early 1980s, you remember the whole E.T. and the bad Pac-Man port? When Atari floundered in the early 1980s, Nakamura purchased their games division, not their hardware division. So if you're thinking about the Jaguar or the Atari Lynx or any of those devices or their computers, that was the hardware division. Nakamura purchased the games division. Atari Games became a subsidiary of Namco. The once American giant was now owned by a Japanese company. People really didn't like that. Uh, they also owned Atari Japan, which was from way back in 1972, but that is a whole other story, so we're not even going to bother with that. In 1978, Nemco launched an American division, which was headed by a trusted employee known as Nakajima. Nakajima had his own ideas on how to run Atari and uh, Namco America, and this frustrated Nakamura so much, he sold the entire division to him and Time Warner in 1987. Okay, so Nakamura in 1987... Uh, or I guess it would be 1988. He is backing away. He bought Atari. He's like, fuck it. I don't want to deal with this anymore. These Americans can have it. Even though the guy that's heading it up is, is Japanese and formerly an employee of his, right? This is around the time he starts arguing with Nintendo when he's trying to renew his contract. Okay? He has nothing to do with Atari anymore. But this is where it gets good. <sighs> My God. This version of Atari would go on to create illegal NES bootleg games, which resulted in a lengthy Monopoly lawsuit against Nintendo. For the sake of brevity, we're just going to say that resulted in a stalemate. So in other words, Nakamura fucked over Nintendo over in Japan, and his, his, his actions fucked over Nintendo over in America at the exact same time. <laughs> and you're wondering why they supported the PlayStation so much. Uh, Nakamura apparently was an asshole when it came to business. He had a short fuse, and he had a list of demands that very few people could reach. But he changed the industry forever, and despite what you might have heard, he absolutely did not develop a single video game. Moving on, let's talk about the best-selling games over in the UK. Number 10 was Steep, number 9 was Mafia 3, number 8 was Rocket League, number 7 was Forza Horizon 3, number 6 was Watch Dogs 2, number 5 was Battlefield 1, number 4 was FIFA 17, number 3 was Grand Theft Auto 5, number 2 was Call of Duty Infinite Warfare, number 1, of course, Resident Evil 7, debuting in the top spot over in the weekly charts in the UK. But what about Japan? What games are selling over there? Well, let's find out. Here are the top 10 best-selling games over in Japan for the past week. Number 10 was Valkyria Revolution. Number 9 was Danganronpa V Killing Harmony on the PlayStation Vita. Number 8 was Kingdom Hearts HD 2.8 chapter, Final Chapter Prologue on the PlayStation 4. Number 7 was Super Mario Maker for the Nintendo 3DS on, of course, the 3DS. Number 6 was Yo-Kai Watch 3 Sugiyaki on the 3DS. Number 5 was Gravity Rush 2 on the PlayStation 4. Number 4 was Poochie and Yoshi Willy World on the 3DS. Yeah. Number 3 was Pokemon Sun and Pokemon Moon. They combined them together because... Otherwise, they take up two spots. They sell a lot of copies there. Number two was Uta no Prince-sama Repeat Love on the PlayStation Vita, which, of course, was developed by Broccoli. 
Yes, really. There's a studio named Broccoli. And number one was Resident Evil 7 Biohazard. Or, as it's known over in Japan, Biohazard 7 Resident Evil. Eh, pretty cool there. On the PlayStation 4. But what are the best-selling consoles over in Japan? Well, here we go. Here's the weekly summarization of the best-selling hardware. Starting off with the PlayStation 4, 30,778. New 3DS LL with 17,600. PlayStation Vita with 10,553. PlayStation 4 Pro with 9,800. 293, 2DS with 5,806, New 3DS with 1,301, Wii U with 710, PlayStation 3 with 579, and in last place, for the fourth week in a row, very, very sad, the Xbox One with 231. Come on, Xbox, you had a few months there, you weren't in last place, pick up the pace, fight back, you can do it, man! They probably won't, they, they probably won't. It's really sad. But that's gonna have to do it for the chart park. The land where money grows on trees. We've talked about all that big money. Stacks of cash, legends from the industry. Now we should talk about the smaller things. That's right, it's time to get tiny. It's time for Pocket Talk, Pocket Talk, Pocket Talk. As previously mentioned, Nintendo recently released their earnings report. And while Miitomo was not mentioned, some of their mobile games were specifically Super Mario Run. According to Nintendo, the game has seen 78 million downloads since it launched in mid-December on iOS devices. More than 5% of the downloads translated into full purchases. The game, of course, is currently $10. This adds up to 3.9 million paid copies at around $39 million. Worth noting, they said that they sold more than 5%, but did not give uh, specific details. Okay, they made $39 million, and I know the number seems small. There are people sitting back going like, Oh, man, if only they would have lowered the price. If only they would have lowered the price, this would be, they make more money. Well, I'm not exactly convinced of that. See, here's the thing. There's only one Mario, and it's Mario, and Nintendo owns Mario, and they put it on there. Also, keep in mind, this was only on iOS. They haven't even put this game on Android devices yet. That's going to be happening uh, later next month, right? So, also keep uh, worth noting that Android has double the install base than iOS. And when that is released, I guarantee you they're going to do amazing. They basically got $39 million for making a very low-risk, high-reward, small-budget Mario game. I assume small-budget. If it had like a... If it had a $20 million budget, I'd be really surprised, especially given the results of, of Super Mario Run. When they launch on Android, I'm sure they're gonna they're gonna clean up. And here's the thing, the people that are saying, ah, oh, it should have been five dollars, should have been five dollars, you know. And I was one of the people when they announced it was gonna be ten dollars. I'm like, oh, that's a bit steep. But the fact of the matter is, they can drop the price to five dollars whenever they feel like, and they'll still make that money. They will absolutely still make that money. So they're cleaning up right now. They'll clean up later, and they're gonna be jumping on to uh, Android, which has double the install base. So life all you want. This thing's a success. And this is really their very first attempt. They're going to be learning from it. Sadly, though, some bad news from this investor meeting. Nintendo uh, announced that the previously revealed Animal Crossing mobile title has been delayed into the next fiscal year. They did not give any sort of reasoning. That is really the entire story. So if you're looking forward to Animal Crossing, you'll have to wait at most until March 31st, 2018. But that's going to have to do it for Pocket Doc, Pocket Doc, Pocket Doc. Let's take the mushroom. 
good pocket talk. I like it when pocket talk is small because the name of the thing is pocket talk and I want it to be, you know, tiny. It's like it fit in your pocket. You know, makes sense to me. But now we've come pretty much to the end of the show. This is the part where we talk about the week that was 10 years ago and beyond discussing all the anniversaries and video games in a little something we like to call strong history. 11 years ago, there was nothing notable 10 years ago in 2007, but 11 years ago on the PSP Street Fighter Alpha 3 Max was released. You might be laughing at this, like, why are you talking about a port of Street Fighter Alpha 3? Well, if you played it on the PSP, you would know it was a fantastic port. Just crisp, clean, responsive. Who would have thought that they could have released this on the PSP? They did. It was incredible. But Capcom also released Resident Evil Deadly Silence on the DS 11 years ago. If you're wondering why it's called Deadly Silence, it's because every game had to have DS in the name. Uh, 11 years ago. This was a remake of the original Resident Evil uh, on the DS, and I've heard it wasn't too hot, but, you know, kind of cool that it exists. I guess we should probably mention that, of course, this wasn't the very first attempt to re-release the original Resident Evil on Nintendo Portable, because (laughs) there was a, a version of Resident Evil, the very first game, on the Game Boy Color, and it was never released, but there are leaked ROMs that you can go and play right now. They were made by Capcom. It is, technically speaking, very impressive, even though it's impossible to play. Also, 11 years ago, on the GameCube, Chibi-Robo was released, a character that has seen a recent resurgence. Good for Chibi-Robo. 12 years ago, on the Game Boy, Winnie the Pooh, Rumbly Tumbly Adventure was released, and we talk about this game all the time, so I'm just not going to bore you anymore, but obviously, Rumbly Tumbly Adventure uh, on the GameCube 12 years ago, just a landmark achievement in in just game design, graphics, uh, you know, interactive storytelling, stunning. Also, 12 years ago, Shadow of Rome was released on PlayStation 2. This is a Capcom game a lot of people forget about, but it was sort of, you know, it was sort of based off of um, uh, the film Gladiator. Tons of blood and guts and violence. It was awesome. It was really cool. Although it had these really awful stealth sequences. But if you get a chance, check out Shadow of Rome on the PlayStation 2. Also on the PS2, NBA Street Volume 3, which was a really cool arcade style basketball game uh, from two generations ago. May I just say once again, EA, if you're listening, and I know you are, I know that Patrick Sunderland is just sitting back there, he's, he's got the ear pods in and he's, he's listening to the pressure gas. If you're listening, please stop trying to make NBA Live. NBA Live is no good. You're trying your best. It's admirable. It's still no good. Take all that time. Take all that attention. Take all that money. Put it into making NBA Street. Trust me. You got the, you got the uh, uh, simulation game in, in 2K. You're never going to compete with that. Make the arcade game. Make the fun game. Or make another NBA Jam. It's up to you guys. Who would like another NBA Jam? Also, 12 years ago, Death by Degrees was released on the PlayStation 2. Death by Degrees was uh, a very strange action third-person game starring Nina from Tekken. You know, the Tekken series. It was a melee combat game where you used your analog stick, your red analog stick, to perform, uh, you know, punches and kicks. It was terrible. It's just that most people forgot about it. I like to bring it up every now and again. You know, 12 years ago, 13 years ago on the Game Boy Advance, arguably the best Metroid game ever. Yes, even better than uh, Super Metroid. Metroid Zero Mission was released. This was a remake of the original uh, Metroid, uh, but of course they changed a ton of things about it, making it far better. It is available on the Wii U eShop 
the Game Boy Advance version. I highly recommend you check it out. It is just pitch perfect Metroidvania. If you like Castlevania or if you like Metroid, must play. It's super good. Uh, also, uh, 13 years ago, Final Fantasy Crystal Chronicles was released on the GameCube, and this game was actually a pretty big deal back in the day. It was seen as sort of a homecoming because, you know, uh, uh, Nintendo hadn't had a, a, a real Final Fantasy game on their home console since Final Fantasy VI, uh, way back in the in the mid '90s. I guess you couldn't call Crystal Chronicles a real Final Fantasy game, but it was a it was a full fledged brand new game for GameCube. When was the last time a real Final Fantasy was launched on a Nintendo home console? I said home console. Don't be pointing to those remakes on the Game Boy Advance or DS. Home console. Anyway. 15 years ago, on the original Xbox, WWF Raw was released. And I remember buying this game and being immediately disappointed. Thanks for nothing, WWF Raw on the Xbox. Also 15 years ago, Maximo Ghosts to Glory was released on the PlayStation 2, yet another Capcom game. This was a spiritual successor to Ghouls and Ghosts on the, uh, on the NES uh, and the arcade. And it was a hard as hell, sort of a Crash Bandicoot 3D platformer ripoff that had lots of combat. And if you got hit once, you, you, your armor fell off and you're running around in your underwear. It was a cool little franchise. It's kind of a shame that it went away. Also, 15 years ago, over in Japan, Way of the Samurai was released on PlayStation 2. One of my all-time favorite games. Just all-time. Love Way of the Samurai. We'll talk more about that when it has its American release. Uh, 16 years ago, in America, Paper Mario was released. Keep in mind, Paper Mario on the Nintendo 64 launched on February 5th, 2001. Jesus. That is, that is, that is less than 10 months before the GameCube is going to come out. So this was a very late game edition. So when I say that Nintendo platforms are usually pretty good at supporting their games, even towards the end of their lives, that's what I'm talking about right there. Original Paper Mario. It's a pretty darn good game. Not as good as its sequel, but still a pretty darn good game. Um, 18 years ago on the Nintendo 64, Paper Mario was launched. Not Paper Mario. I fucked up. Mario Party was launched 18 years ago. Uh, so, you know, uh, the game destroyed my friendship. Uh. 20 years ago, on the Sega CD, Eternal Champions Challengers from the Dark Side, Challenge from the Dark Side, was released on the Sega CD. This was, of course, was the uh, original fighting game uh, made by Sega uh, that featured a bunch of different really weird characters that came from different time periods that were going to duke it out to, um, to basically get a second chance at life. So you had things like kickboxers from the future, superheroes, which were basically policemen from the future. You had people from you know, the past, like a wizard, <laughs> you had a vampire, you had a detective, like a noir detective, you had a bunch of just unrelated characters that were all together, uh, and it was a bonkers fighting game, and a lot of people say it, it isn't very good, but I would, I would submit to you, I would submit to you that if you think Eternal Champions isn't that very good, to consider that uh, the first Street Fighter, the first Street Fighter isn't very good, and the original Shamrock Showdown, as good as that is, isn't as good as part two. There are many fighting games that start off and, and don't have their their best their best moment. Would you say that the first Smash Brothers is better than Melee? Well, I would, but would you? Probably not. So you know, give some slack to Eternal Champions. And lastly, 29 years ago, in Japan, on the Famicom, Contra was released. Yes, Contra, the classic bullet hell platformer on the Famicom was launched. And you know, it's a game that uh, a lot of people just sort of I don't know, they use it as a, as a punchline or as a, a, you know, something to brag about. Oh, I beat Contra without losing a life. Uh, hey, remember the Konami code? A, B, A, B, 
but they often overlook the game itself, and Contra for its time was just just the most action-packed game you'd ever played. You're running across a bridge. It can't just be that simple. The bridge has to explode while you're running across it. Oh, you're gonna shoot some enemies. Oh, that's not that good. What if the enemy takes up the entire screen? You're shooting and it's freaking out. And there's aliens everywhere. And then we're even gonna have like early perspective building and have like a third person shooting moment where you're going through these hallways and there's bullets everywhere and you got a flamethrower and you got a spreader gun and you got all this stuff. Like it was bonkers. Contra really created that kind of hard edge bullet hell game. And it deserves a lot more credit. I mean, this wasn't too far away from when uh, people were playing games like uh, Galaxian and Space Invaders. You know, just a few years later, they were getting things like Contra. That was very meaningful. It's a fantastic game. And yes, I do use the 30 life code because fuck it, I'm not that good at Contra. Great game. 29 years ago, in Japan, on the Famicom. But that's gonna have to do it for Strong History. Good times. Good times. Well... Konami has closed up their video game division, so I think it's time we close up the show. Remember, you can follow all the goings-ons of, of the video games are dumb by going on Twitter and following at VGA Dumb. That is, it stands for at Video Games Are Dumb. On Tuesday, I'm going to be having my review of Yakuza Zero on the PlayStation 4 on uh, on the old YouTube channel, which of course is youtubecom slash c slash Video Games Are Dumb. So please take a peek if you will. Uh, it, it took me around 50 hours of playing that game to to get this review going, and uh, I just gotta I gotta take a look at it and polish up some of the text, and then that'll be out on Tuesday. That'll be out on Tuesday. <laughs> it's gonna be it's gonna be an all nighter, so please watch that. <laughs> please do that. Uh, what else is gonna be going on? Not much. I'm gonna be playing a lot of Neo, so I can get another video out, and uh, that's that's you know that's that's really the the entire thing right there. So you know, check it out. Anyway, uh, I guess it's worth pointing out that Wii U ended production officially uh, last week, and and uh, it's just it's sad to see any console go, even if it was a, a terrible console. But well, what can you say? Everything that starts has to end. But the pressure cast will not, because the pressure cast is forever. Bye, everybody. <laughs>